Tonight on the show, we talk car chases, implausible plots, and Bruce Willis's penis. That's right, it's 1994's Color of Night. My guest is Mike Justice. This is Manic Movie Monday. Tonight, we are going to talk about a very bananas, erotic, question mark, thriller from the 90s. And my guest tonight is the one, the only, the hilarious, the handsome Mike Justice. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. This is going to be fun. Oh, my God. Okay. So for anyone who's never seen this movie, uh, first of all, don't see this movie <laughs> unless you're just looking for something to to laugh at which is you know um it's it's a bananas movie there's no question about it um but the the plot summary for anyone that hasn't seen it um is new york psychologist question mark bill kappa becomes traumatized and flees to los angeles after one of his patients commits suicide When a fellow doctor and bestie is brutally murdered, the psychologist agrees to take on his clients with chilling results. I love that you said that this movie is not of its time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, no, it is not. It's kind of weird, too, because Richard Rush, his last movie that he had made before this was in 1980. And then they made a big deal about, you know, he came out of a 14 year retirement to make Color of Night. And when I saw this, I was like, was he in suspended animation and thinks it's 1981 or something like, why has he not grown and changed along with the rest of us since he last made a movie? Like he just decided to make this movie like as though it were a couple months after his last one. That's hilarious. I, I had no idea. I knew that he had retired and come back, but I had no idea it had been that long since he made a movie and honestly that seems to be a plot that we need to 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 write a screenplay for is is somebody like who like goes into a coma during the De Palma craze and then wakes up yeah no it is it is very sort of Brady Bunch movie like he's just like well we're all still you know every sex scene has to be accompanied by uh you know a saxophone and a guitar riffing right right oh. and nobody had the heart to tell him that things had changed they're like no of course yes like, yeah <laughs> absolutely no it's, yeah. it's, it's still body yeah. body double is number one at the box office you know <laughs> <laughs> and and need i remind them you know body double didn't even work when body double came out like nope. that movie was not a hit so i don't nope. know what they were thinking no all that stuff becomes cult favorites later you know um i i I mean definitely body double and uh well i don't know was that's a good question was dressed to kill a huge hit at the time i remember it as being it was but i think it was it was hyped up so much that it made just sort of what they would have like it didn't surprise anybody Mm. like they were just like you know this is the new must-see sexy brian de palma thriller and enough people went to go see it that they didn't lose any money but it wasn't like um they were there was oscar talk or anything like that you know it was no (laughs) i wouldn't think so but uh oh my god uh so my background with this movie is you you appear to be in your 30s 40s 40s okay so you are you are in my same age group okay so i I was right there with it yeah i'm 42 (laughs) so i saw this movie in the theater at age 15 and and I saw it for exactly the same reason I think everyone else saw it, which was the was the like I want to see Bruce Willis's peepee. 
Mm -hmm. that, was that was it. That was, you know, that it was so sad because movies at least usually try to market themselves or try to talk up their good parts or whatever. And The Color of Night was just threw up their hands and they're just like, uh, Bruce Willis's dick. Like, That's tickets, it. Tickets here, you know, like they weren't, That's all they didn't even exactly it's like it's uh, there's not much else to to talk about here but uh but bruce willis's penis is very important um yeah and, and when i played the trailer for my mom the other night she was like this is a joke right like she 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 literally thought i played her an snl skit right because it's that 90s you know in a world of deception you know i mean <laughs> Did, did you um did you ever see the movie Poetic Justice with Janet Jackson? Oh, that was yeah, like the but... Okay, so do you remember at the beginning of the movie where they go to a drive-in and they go to see an erotic, like a white erotic thriller, and it's Billy Zane and yes. um oh and who blanking on her name right now, but she was the um tank girl. Mm. Lori Petty. Lori Petty, yeah. Yeah, so it's Billy Zane and Lori Petty, and they're sitting around drinking wine and being like lascivious with each other in like this, you know, um <laughs> loft with a you know in a, a loft, yes. Water, yeah, and stuff. And um, and that's what this movie is. Mm -hmm. Is that 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 skit at the beginning of that movie? Oh my god. <laughs> I, but yet I'm never bored. I mean, the movie is not I mean, there are moments where I'm confused and there's definitely moments where I question who allowed someone to write the dialogue because the dialogue honestly sounds like it's, it's um like it's ad-libbed at times, even though it's not. <laughs> right. I'm wondering what they thought the audience was going to be because I could, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well, maybe the screenwriters thought that, you know, with, when they wrote it when they were starting out and they're like okay well maybe this can get on cable or maybe Gregory Dark will direct this or yes! something you know and the fact that it's somehow landed in the hands of these A-listers um I don't know that maybe the screenwriters knew that it would and maybe they were embarrassed because they're like I didn't think anybody was gonna watch this you know mm -hmm. like, like yeah it kind of reminds me of in Boogie Nights when they're editing and he looks at him and he goes well how is it he goes it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can just imagine the screenwriter was like, well, and then the director was like, well, and then they were like, I mean, we have Bruce Willis. <laughs> right. And so maybe he'll save this movie, but ah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Um, I also, I love that you refer to the supporting cast as not knowing how to use their inside voice. <laughs> and they go from zero to 60. Like it's, well, that's one thing. And so the the group at the heart of the movie is this is this therapy group. And I don't know much about therapy groups, but are they all, are they really made up of like this disparate level of? No. And that's <laughs> one of the things that I actually, um, as someone who as, as someone who has a mental illness and as someone whose partner also has a mental illness, we've both been to therapy groups before. And I asked him, I was like, when we went to that, when we went to that therapy group, was it a mixed bag or was it all our same illness? <laughs> It's like this, it's it's like they're kind of going for the dynamic, the random group dynamic that you would find in a movie where it's like people who are like, I don't know, at the DMV or something. Yeah. But but they're all supposed to be in therapy. And it's like one of them's like a nymphomaniac. The other one's grieving his wife. The other one is obsessive compulsive. Um, the yeah. other one is like 
abused by his father right or something yeah and, which we don't really ever and so many questions about and him. they're so <laughs> they're so antagonistic of each other like how is this helping any Ooh. of them they all need one-on-one -on -one therapy but yeah. instead the 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 psychiatrist shoves them into a room where all they do is pick on each other the whole time and then he just kind of wimpily like intervenes he's like no no yeah bacula is is <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Bacula looks like he just wandered in to this movie and has no idea how he got there. He's confused most of the time. And it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, there was something about this movie that I feel like they were... Didn't they know? <laughs> well, no, I think it was part of this, this, like, the director was trying to paint sexy with such a wide brush. Everything's sexy. Everything's sexy music. Sexy, sexy yeah, food. And and it was like everybody always had to be in a compromising position like even when he that bruce willis is conferring with like his mentor at the end of the movie and his mentor is played by that old character actor with the wizened elderly character actor oh, with yeah. a mustache and for whatever reason they shoot half of his scene with him in a hot tub yeah right <laughs> where he's talking about the salmon and he goes yeah. he goes salmon swim upstream to mate and die mm -hmm. and so do men which right right could have been just like you could take that sound bite and mm -hmm. put i mean put it voice and yeah but why but but it's like it's like everything about this movie it's like even the elderly man isn't safe from the director saying like you know let's put you in a hot tub like they always have to be in a compromising position there always has to be something like she you know we'll get to it later but like she's always half naked which is yeah. fine for her character i guess but it's also kind of it just goes along with the movie that everybody's always um yeah that's what the director thought sexy was that's why i was like I feel like this movie was made by asexual people who were just trying to like wing it and theorize on what was sexy. On what's <laughs> on what horny people are supposed to, right. or, or, or yeah, I mean, because like Leslie Ann Warren is on the edge of orgasm every single scene. Like she's this close. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and so that's basically her entire problem. Why she's in the group is because she's a nymphomaniac. Right. She's supposed to be a nymphomaniac, a nymphomaniac and a kleptomaniac at the same, which I mean. Okay. Hey, oh, that's right. Her. She, uh, that, but yeah, she steals stuff. So she steals stuff and then she's in, is she married or divorced? I can't remember. She is divorced mm -hmm. uh, and, and has sex with her trainer a lot. Oh yeah, that's right. right yeah she is um she is hilarious i feel like the movie they didn't advertise her involvement or um brad durif's in mm -hmm. involvement at all in the marketing like i think that would have been fun mm -hmm. i probably would have been more excited to go see it if i would have known it had this big ensemble of like hammy character actors yeah because that's probably my favorite part of that movie is is really the bizarreness of the therapy group and how they interact and there's how the how they just chew scenery and it's and it's celebrated you know it's it's one of my that's it was like one of my favorite parts of the movie and it's not because it's definitely not bruce willis's weird relationship with someone who's 20 years his junior okay so as it turns we can talk about the spoilers right yeah oh absolutely yeah. okay so um everybody in the group uh, so after Bruce Willis meets this girl and starts a sexual relationship relationship with her, everybody in the group starts sh sharing that they've had similar experiences with like this enigmatic beauty who's just wandered into their life and like turned it upside down with her sexual veracity. Five five one oh five. Yeah, <laughs> and um, nobody gets that it's the same girl. Fair enough, 
But then we have two scenes with Leslie Ann Warren clearly, obviously cavorting with that girl. And but we're not supposed to know it's her because she's wearing a wig and has an English accent. Right. And and <laughs> and and giant red lips. But I mean And Jane March has a very distinctive look. Like she is not a mm. blank canvas at mm. all. Like um nope. she like it is clearly obviously her. And also there's only like two women in the whole movie. Yeah. Like if this were white, one of those like Roger Corman, like dance with death movies where the entire cast is women, then you could be like, oh, it's the brunette, but she's wearing a blonde wig. Strip to kill three. Yeah. But in this one, it's like there's two females in the entire cast. And we're not going to notice that one of them is the very distinctive Jane March in a wig Mm -hmm. with an accent. Right. (laughs) Right. Or that now, did you figure out the, the twist almost immediately? Like literally everyone else did? No, I was, when I went to go, so I went to go, when I first saw this, I went to see it a couple of months after it came out and I saw it at a dollar theater in Rancho Cucamonga, California. And it was on the double feature with Trial by Jury with Joanne oh. Wally Kilmer and Armand yes. Asante. Oh my God. And I, I guess, I think I was pretty naive back then. I wasn't really good at guessing things. So I was mm-hmm. just like, who's that weird boy in their therapy group? And <laughs> <laughs> And and I thought I thought it was like I thought I was like uh you know Sherlock Holmes because I figured out that that later on that other incarnation of her was her. Oh, but oh, I did oh. not get that it was the boy, and especially since he has that weird um, they used like they pitched his voice down so he kind of sounds he's like when I try to talk nothing yeah. comes out, and I'm like now I recognize that as like a a slowed down voice. But back then I was just like, Ooh, (laughs) he's scary. When I first saw it, I thought I was like, Oh, Stephen Jeffries is in this. Cause he's got like a, cause yeah. And and I, cause I thought I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Hey, good to see him getting some work. You know, that Um, is exactly who that is. It's like, mm -hmm. he's a total Stephen Jeffries, but like, I think by this point, Stephen Jeffries would have been in his thirties, which means he would have been in the gay porn. Yeah. Yeah. So he's already. (laughs) Unfortunately, he was already 2D class A at that point for even Color of Night. (laughs) He's Sam Ritter at that point. (laughs) That was his that was his twin brother. Right. Oh, Sam Ritter is his twin brother. I like that. There was an attempt to play it off at that point. And it was like. That it was his twin brother. Yeah. And it's like, just stop. Now you're creating twin brothers. Like, this is how the lie begets a lie begets Uh a lie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, which brother was in Fright Night? Um, okay, so I like that it it does wear its trashiness on its sleeve. It's very, um, but at the same time, it also some some way just doesn't know it's trashy. Like there are things that happen in this movie that are just unexplainable and don't really factor in, like the 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 like the fact that Bruce Willis narrates out loud (laughs) (laughs) but it's like a narration and a little bit of poetry put into it when whenever jane march comes onto the screen he has this like raymond chandler-esque yeah and there's no there's no nothing in the movie that alludes to him having like i don't know a secret passion for hard-boiled detective novels or anything so it's like so it's like where did this why is this right. part of his character nope. being brought up? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> and um and 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 I still he he cries more over Michelle jumping out that window than he did about Scott Bakula being murdered jello style. I know. <laughs> in his I know. in the office. 
and somehow they like fixed the window that the killer jumped through and like i don't know it was pretty macabre to continue to have therapy in that office i don't care how much like yeah like you think they'd be like hey you think we 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 could you know take this outside or (laughs) right or like move to like yeah they um you know the thing is about the so at the beginning of the movie yeah he he I remember later on, there's a scene where he's crying to Scott Bakula and talking about how her suicide made him lose faith in psychiatry as a whole. Yes. And I was like, and I watched that scene again and I'm like, you know, he was kind of an asshole. Like he's like basically just tells her that she's this insufferably predictable bridge burner and that he's sick of being her therapist. And she jumps out the window. And she jumps and then, out the window. And then he's like, I thought I had all the answers. It's like, who told you to antagonize a suicidal person into jumping out a window and you're supposed to be a psychiatrist, you know, like <laughs> then but the movie is really focused on, you know, his his victimhood at the hand of his own guilt. His own like mm-hmm. guilt that he probably isn't really like shouldn't feel guilty about. I'm like, no, you should. Oh, yeah. You're a no, shitty psychiatrist. You should have quit. It was your fault. <laughs> well, I mean, she was. Oh, so when I first saw that, the opening credits where she's like running through her uh, her house and like looking for stuff, and she finds like she's looking for some blouse in the couch and doesn't find it, and then starts beating up the couch. She starts and beating the couch. The audience I saw it with was laughing, dying laughing. Oh like, my god! Like we watched the movie, I remember, and laughed the whole way through. And I think it was because we had to watch trial by jury first, which is really boring. It's not fun at all. <laughs> it's like PG-13 and it's like made in Canada. It's like one of those like cheap, <laughs> it doesn't wow. have the the big budget um, like operatic heights as Color of Night. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it is it is bombastic. It, <laughs> it really. And then there are lines in the movie that. I can see that the attempt is made to to make them sound like maybe they're smart, but they're not, you know, (laughs) like Jane March's whole, you're trying to see me as a person rather than a case study. Yeah. And that's like literally their first date. I'm like, are you, could you make it any more complicated and overthink it anymore? You know? And then, and then also there was, I'm, I've been a, I was a waiter for 20 years. So when she did that cute little thing where she threw her lipstick, her in the lipstick glass, in the water. Yeah. I was just like, if I was the waiter, I'd came back to bust that table. I just feel like stupid bitch. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> like I you are not cute. Like, <laughs> I was like, who eats who eats dinner at a hotel? Also, and my boyfriend goes, maybe it's got a good restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's probably where the crew was staying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They messed around a lot with LA geography. Like, for instance, like the, Scott Bakula's house is established as being like way out by the beach somewhere on yeah it's in malibu it's a really famous house in malibu right and then he chases jane march away from the house and within 30 seconds they're like peeling down past um like um hollywood boulevard like with the um the record company is (laughs) that's so funny yeah and i was (sighs) like do you know how long it would take to get there (laughs) like that's a 30 minute drive my friend yeah yeah so i think it was supposed to take place in like some sort of fictional universe anyway fictional fictional la yeah (laughs) it's like we're gonna go to the whiskey (laughs) (laughs) right down the street from from the lapd (laughs) so when you saw this movie were people so one thing about 90s thrillers is that not, there aren't any examples of real tongue-in-cheek ones like they were once self-seriousness nope. was a trope of the genre so oh i God. think that's why people hated this movie so much is because they i don't know if it ta- i think it 
I don't know if it doesn't take itself seriously or if it just has no self-awareness, kind of like a drunk person or something. Yes, like- it has. That's exactly how I would put it. It has no self-awareness. It, yeah. it, it, it really, I mean, I will give you a prime example is, oh my God. Okay, the scene where they're having sex, they finish having sex, she's mid-orgasm and she goes, <laughs> I want to get dressed up. And he's like, okay. So then the next scene they cut to is them sitting across from each other in a dining room setting downstairs. Bruce Willis is in a (laughs) full-on suit. Jane March is buck-ass naked. No, she has like a little kitchen apron on. Yeah, and then they (laughs) and then they like and then he's eating. Oh, and then he's eating a rare steak. Well, she and, somehow, yeah, she made it was like penne noodles and yeah, little, it was penne like, noodles and a steak. And, and I was like, okay, that doesn't go together anyway. But and then, <laughs> yeah. and then she's like, don't you like my food? And he's like, I like your food three inches to the left. And then she right. moves it because so he can see her vagina while he's eating steak. While he's eating steak, <laughs> and then uh, and then she goes, but if you don't like that, I have something else for you. It's in the other room let me go get it and then what i like about this scene is that jane march is aware of how fucking stupid this scene is and she breaks character and starts laughing <laughs> i saw that <laughs> and they left it in and i'm thankful that they left it in and that she, little bit of cinema verite because it's was really a, funny she's like that, this is stupid what am i that, doing <laughs> that was such a pre-cut like break of character like you could uh-huh. tell that like the yeah it was it was so funny she's like i'll go get it <laughs> and then yeah, he's like jumps just, out of the room she starts laughing and they interviewed the director like obviously they interviewed richard rush about this and he said that indeed yes that steak was meant to symbolize her vagina right that's what i mean i mean it's like the whole idea i think he's like they're just no awareness like, yeah <laughs> of of how horrifying that is (laughs) like this is really tapping into like lizard brain comprehension of sexuality that i was just too morbid and repressed to ever have experienced you know like i mean and the sex scenes you know are are also very i mean they're very male centric i should say Mm -hmm. because i mean first of all women and we we talked we we touched on this on the madman episode absolutely when we were talking about having sex in a hot tub and i was like don't you know Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but like the you know they're they're like having sex in a pool and then yeah. um and then they have sex on a kitchen counter you know which which then harkens like later on when they're sitting there having dinner in the kitchen you're like oh man i hope they wipe that down yeah yeah no this the sex scenes in this movie are very porny before she made that <laughs> steak <laughs> yeah okay oh, oh yeah like in the shower she <laughs> she's smashed up against the glass with her boobs just pressed up i mean the the only thing i like about the sex scenes and this is bizarre the only thing i like about the sex scenes is that it that's the only real thing about that whole segment of sex scenes is that she's got like the her hair's plastered against her face and she's mm-hmm. not very attractive in those scenes you know? so because okay so at the end um he discovers that what she actually is is she has split personality disorder so he yeah which i mean <laughs> yeah we can unpack that for a second um so his, she was yeah yeah uh, yeah her brother 
yeah, you no, still, that. if you understand, okay, because this is all I understand about the about the plot and what this is. There were two, there were three siblings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was Rose, Richie, and Dale, uh, and Richie was being sexually abused by his therapist, Doctor Needlemeyer. So right. he hung himself with his belt at age fourteen. I don't know what the fuck the parents had. I don't know when the parent did the parents die. Yeah, they had died before that, or maybe run away or something, or something like that. So yeah, Dale raised raised Rose, and we don't know what form of abuse, but abused her enough that quote she did not want to be a girl anymore. She did not right, right. want to be a woman anymore. Right. And yeah. so he used to call her Richie and dress her like Richie. And so mm-hmm. she became Richie. Right. And then while he was forcing her to be Richie, then another personality popped up named Bonnie. Who's the one who's running around banging everyone in banging the Banging everyone in the therapy group. <laughs> yeah. Now, so here's the thing. Um, Richie is ostensibly under court ordered. Yes. Therapy. Wouldn't the court know? Okay, because later uh-huh. on, Bruce Willis <laughs> finds out that Richie is dead, but he finds out that Richie is dead from Dr. Needlemeyer's wife. Right. 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 So mm-hmm. obviously, it's legally recognized and well known that Richie is dead. So then, wouldn't the same court that declared Richie dead know that when they were going to be sentencing Richie to court ordered uh, therapy, wouldn't they know it was just Rose in a wig pretending to be Richie? Right, exactly. Or when he goes to the records area and mm-hmm. he's getting all this information, wouldn't it literally be in the file? Like yeah, it would be like, she's... well, no, he's dead. Like... Yeah, because the lady's like, well, we lost touch with them. And it's like, well, you didn't lose touch with them enough to not court, not court order therapy for one of them. Which right. Is... Well, um, so I was going to ask you, do you think that they're going to continue their sexual relationship now that he he's a psychiatrist or a psychologist rather, who now knows that she is this extremely traumatized, like mentally well, ill person? Apparently the original ending of the movie had them not end up together. Yeah. But because Richard Rush and hang on, I got to get his name because he's the producer, Andrew Vanya uh we're, we're we're basically in the middle of a dick measuring contest they like hated each other and just like this movie and they yeah. were and they so they were constantly at odds it was like i have my version of the movie you have your version i have my ideas about the movie you have your ideas and they fought and they fought and they fought until richard rush had a heart attack when richard <laughs> rush had a heart attack he had a lot of downtime so mm-hmm. he decided to edit his own version of the movie mm-hmm. so there are literally four different versions of this movie that exist there's like a german version um or there's a U. excuse me there's a uk version there's the richard rush director's cut there's the andrew vanya theatrical release and then there's like a whole there's like another one in there and thanks to kino lorber (laughs) you can now own all of the versions on blu-ray because they just released that i remember the one in the theater being a lot shorter because when i watched the movie again on video after it came out i remember the subplot about lance hendrickson's wife having been involved with the cop like that was all new to me oh absolutely that was not that was not in the in the movie theater at all no i think i think that yeah that long Mm -hmm. scene where bruce willis goes to visit brad duriff at his house and brad duriff explains the girl like i don't remember that as being in the original Mm -hmm. or maybe i just glossed over but 
where he basically explains that he slept with Leslie Ann Warren and she became a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's, um, I do. Yeah. And so when I saw it on video, I was like, oh, you know, I kind of like, I'm sorry, Richard Rush, but I kind of like the hack job that the producers did. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, I guess it's like I they wanted to give more depth to those characters, but at the same time, did we really need it? Well, I mean, at the same time, it's like it's a it's a there's a it's, lot of people in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but it's also like it's directed like grotesquerie on parade. Like there's it's mm. it's it's so grandguinole and so crazy, and it kind of reminds me like we keep drawing the comparisons with Brian De Palma, and it's it is like when when Piper Laurie was making Carrie, she sort of famously had a really hard time at first because she didn't get the arch nature, uh, the heightened nature of the production. She's like, why am I always screaming? Why, why is, why is the dialogue so bad? And he's like, oh, it's just a, it's a satire. It's like a teen horror movie. Yeah. He's like, it's a horror movie for teenagers. And she's like, oh, okay. I get it now. And I feel like Color of Night probably like, you know, maybe if like the PG rated prom night remake had been as outlandish as Color of Night, it probably would have been better because uh, Color of Night. Well, yeah, but it's like why (laughs) Color of Night was marketed to adults when it really should have been marketed to kids because they were probably the only ones who would like look past all the plot holes and just think it was fun when a car drove off a a top level of a parking garage and just lands on him. (laughs) That's a great point because the only, like I said, I don't think I would have I believe like if I'd seen that, if I'd seen that trailer and I'd been in my, you know, twenties or my thirties, I would probably be like, you know, but as a teenager, it's like, Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to go see this, whatever this is, you know, this looks naughty and wrong. Yeah. Well, that was the, that was the era. So it was like, you know, I remember pre basic instinct, there was, there was a lot of erotic thrillers coming out, but I think basic instinct was the one that really blew the lid off of them. Um, and then maybe I, I don't remember when that ended that genre. I want to say, okay. So as I am the resident Greg Dark aficionado, That's right. <laughs> I, can, I can say that, you know, you have night rhythms, animal instincts, body of evidence or body of influence. Okay. Um, you had those that came out and it was pretty much it was like 90 91 92 93 i think it probably lost steam in 95 yeah because i remember by the time that wild things came out it had been a minute since i had seen oh, yeah. a, an erotic thriller and it and it almost felt like a throwback yeah even though it had only been a couple of years i was like i was like oh are they still making these I yeah like, i remember Yes, I remember when Basic Instinct 2 came out because Talk Soup just, I mean, they ran with that. They were like, <laughs> that was, this was like, oh, this is going to be so good, you know, because it has tons of material to to make fun of for forever, you know, because apparently it was just that bad. And I never saw it. I can't say anything. You've never seen Basic Instinct 2 not two no no okay. the first one yeah definitely but it's is um it it's still it takes Paul Verhoeven and no no it's it's Michael Caton Jones who had made Rob Roy with <laughs> that's was, a thinker okay and it and it takes place in London for no other reason than I 
think that because she's so obscenely, ludicrously wealthy, they couldn't think of some any other playground for her after San Francisco than London, because it's like, who right. else can live in London but Catherine Trammell? You That's know? right. <laughs> like, that makes so, sense. So she's just stalking around, like playing mind games with people. But it's like they really upped the, the, the one-liner aspect of her personality. Mm. So basically all she does is she just speaks in one-liner. She's like the crypt keeper, like she's being interrogated. <laughs> and you just expect her to be like, the morgue, the barrier. <laughs> i'll be looking for you <laughs> yeah. and so it's just pretty ludicrous she still looks good though she never she didn't go under the knife no she's <laughs> so, she's gorgeous yeah. she's still still gorgeous i i mean yeah i i haven't seen jane march lately although she claims that this was pretty much the nail in the coffin for her career <clears throat> well, you know, it was unfortunate. I read an, an interview where they were talking about it and she she still was she married some dude who wanted to like demand to always be a producer on her movies. And yep. And then I remember she she played Jane in that Tarzan movie with Casper Van Dien that came out. That was like uh -huh. it was another sort of big budget thing that, that kind of flopped. Right. And then it wasn't until years and years later that I saw her as the end. She would, there was this sort of Broken Flowers esque British comedy drama about this guy revisiting all of his exes. And Jane March plays one of his exes. And she has like, it's kind of, I think it was kind of like, it was a good way of making an independent movie using all these actresses because they wouldn't have to coordinate them for all being there at the same time because they're just interacting with the guy one on one. So I know that he's like, okay, Jane's available in June. Let's get her for this movie oh, or whatever. God. And um, I remember her as, yeah, she was really, she's probably the, you know, she's kind of like Courtney Love in The People versus Larry Flint in that uh, if she wasn't in Color of Night, I don't know that I would enjoy it as much. Yeah. Like she's That's really true. kind of an element. She's very watchable. I was thinking it's too bad that she kind of wasted her mojo on this movie because if she could have been discovered by some weirdo eccentric like David Lynch or Luke Besson or something like she should have been in the fifth element with Bruce Willis, not color of night with Bruce Willis. Mm -hmm. you know, she's really Agreed. good at like, like that kind of, I don't know. She's probably like, would be an interesting character actor, especially with all that, all the roles she gets to play in this movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting you brought up the 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 husband thing because so she she signed the contract for Color of Night and in the contract she basically stated like nudity, sex, whatever, you know. Um and then she starts dating Bruce Willis's best friend, uh Carmine something Italian. And she starts dating him and immediately exactly what you said, he's like I'm going to be a producer on this movie. And I've decided that I am going to make your life hell when it comes to the nudity and the sex. So then all of a sudden she becomes shy and she doesn't want to do the sex and the nudity on camera. And Richard Rush has to remind her, you signed a contract and this is what you need to do. And, you know, and, and you so were in she, the lover for Christ's sakes, like you're in the, the lover, which I'm just, guessing. So, yeah, what I was guessing was if if they met around the time of color of night so she must have been single when she did the lover and that's mm -hmm. that's a pretty explicit movie as well with her oh yeah love, yeah so. and that was kind of like where she was coming from was she was just like i'm uninhibited yeah it was it was <laughs> yeah. just i mean she's mm -hmm. naked that entire movie yeah you know i forget who made the was it bertolucci who made the lover or no i think it was somebody not bertolucci it's um yeah. no nope, somebody not happening some, Somebody who's a name, like somebody right. who I'd be like, okay, I'll get naked for you. Like, like an art director. Yeah. yeah. And like then by the time color of night comes around, I don't know. It's, 
it's I'm fascinated by people who make big splashes in like British indies and then get brought to America, like kind of like Jay Davidson in the crying yes. game. And he comes here and all of a sudden he's in like Stargate playing like this mute Egyptian god. And yeah. She, he makes a similar splash in The Lover and then they bring her here and they're like, okay, you're going to play this like little elfin girl sex fiend who we know nothing about. Okay, go. Right. <laughs> it's like, you don't really, you you exist in this film as a sexual object for all of these people. That's all you do. You really have no personality to yourself. You say things like, I'm trying to run a business here. We don't know what your business is. Right. I yeah, think like- you're an actress. Someone said that. They were like, oh, she's she's an actress. And I go, is she? Because I don't, I, I don't remember. I mean, I've watched all the versions, right? But like, mm-hmm. I don't remember her saying that she was acting. <laughs> I know she's got no insurance. Right. Remember that? <laughs> I have no insurance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what? I was kind of annoyed that she asked him for the pardon. Um, I think what, like, I, I remember watching it and thinking like what she should have done was just be like, oh no, I don't have insurance and waited for him to be like, you know what? Forget about it. You know, right. but she's just like, hey, do you think you could forget about this? I'm like, cheeky. <laughs> like, right. Like you smashed into him and now you're trying to flirt your way out of it, like shamelessly. Give like me that. your address and I'll bring the money to you. Right. She's good. What's she going to bring like a wad of cash? I like, know. <laughs> I was like, I'll bring the money to you after someone is done uh, stick, sticking a sticking a garden hose through your door. Like when right. he remember because he walks in and it's all flooded and he's just mm-hmm. like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Would you, if your best friend was murdered, would you stay would in you... their house? No. Yeah. No. Also, why didn't he have any other friends? They were like college roommates. And now what are they like 40 years old? Like yeah. Scott Bakula doesn't have any other friends. There's nobody. He, he knows nobody else. He's yeah. obviously banging one of his patients. So yeah. that's creepy. Yeah. I know um, it's funny. This, this, everything in this movie was sort of like small town dynamics, but blown up to LA size. But like they didn't account for the fact that people living in LA wouldn't have a designated buddy living in New York that would come take over their practice. They would have dozens of colleagues that would be waiting oh, for that. Would they be knocking on the door? I mean, it would be yeah. like, it would be like, hello, like I'm going to take over and, the practice or. And also, yeah. And also, you know, Los Angeles used to be a lot more affordable than it is now, but there was never a time in history where you could afford that house just by running a Monday night therapy group. Or writing and a book. It, yeah. And if he doesn't have any other, pa- if, he, if he has other, other patients, why weren't they considered suspects? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go. Mm-hmm. Must've gone really well. Right. <laughs> Um, Maxim magazine named this film sex scenes as the best, best sex scenes in film history. The sex scenes in this movie are Maxim magazine personified. Like, I mean, I, I, I get, I get right. Consider the source. Right. I mean, well, you know, it's, so I remember like when basic instinct came out and there were men's tongues were wagging about the sex scenes, but it was one of the first times that I had seen women's tongues wagging about the sex scenes. Like just as many women were like loosening their collars, like, Oh, I went to go see basic instinct. Is it hot in here? <laughs> um, but the color of night, I don't think has any sort of like, it, I don't think the sex scenes are date night at all. I think it's definitely very, they're very porny. They're very like you uh... call them male, male centric. Like, I don't see like any women being like, you know, that's why I think Maxim called it the sexiest scene in that history because it's, yeah. it's definitely very Maxim. Because it's just, you know, sweaty, s- sweaty, young Jane March naked, you know, and 
and and weird weird stuff with oh and the scene okay so let's talk about this because i guess this would also be a maxim uh nod um there is a scene in this movie where bruce willis is laying down in a tub and jane march is laying down between his legs and he takes a toy tank (laughs) a remote control toy tank and runs it over her naked body and, and this you know, is a thing that happens it. in this movie and narrates it he's like and, and the narrates and he, it yeah oh right i forgot about the fact that yes he, well, he narrates the whole scene yeah i was thinking actually this is this is funny though when he was driving the tank up over her boobs he said now we're going into the swiss, swiss Alps. Alps. and i was like and i was like you know i think that dialogue was written before jane march was cast in this role because she's very she's not, not swiss She's not got a giant rack. Right. Um, a similar scene. This is why I think like this movie, sometimes I feel like I think this movie was a comedy or trying to be a comedy because a similar scene like that happens in the movie Moscow on the Hudson with uh, Robin Williams and Maria Conchita Alonso, oh. where she's lying in the bathtub and he's like, oh, I love being an American. Look at these baseballs. I love these baseballs. And she's like, oh. <laughs> Um, and um, that's my Robin Williams doing a Russian. Was good, yeah. no, 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 that was that was cut that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so then I was like, when I saw Color of Night, I was like, is that is Moscow and the Hudson already classic enough to pay homage to? Or are the both of these movies thinking this scene is sexy or what? Like, is this not supposed to be funny? It's. <laughs> It's yeah, yeah. I, I, it's funny because like I was thinking about the the Maxim magazine thing, and it, I'm like, well, it is a movie about dicks. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it, and I, I wrote this down here um, because we have there's a there's dick measuring, like a dick measuring reference. Uh, there's a reference to the cop caring about his dick. Uh, there's a, a building sign that literally says steel erection. there's actual dicks dick outlines uh a dick-shaped lighthouse at the end of the movie and then i mean (laughs) and um and um bruce willis does that like jerk off hand gesture when he's describing yeah when When he's he's talking about how he lost his he 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 lost his faith in the scriptures (laughs) right i'm like wow okay yeah this is is a movie that's like you know i mean the key to making uh a successful erotic thriller in the 90s was you had to get men and women to both go see it right or maybe or maybe even just you know like i think a lot like honestly i feel like more i remember more women going to see basic instinct than men when it came yeah out. and um and something like color of night is definitely like a raincoat movie and by this point in 1994 nobody needed to go to like why would i mean maybe college guys might jocularly go see this ironically just for fun but like they wouldn't go see some ele- wannabe elevated erotic thriller. They would probably go see something like Coyote Ugly. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, what was what did Color of Night think that their audience was going to be? Because men who want to whack off to this are going to stay home and rent the video. Yeah. And women aren't going to go see it because there's nothing. There's not even any women in the movie, and it's all told from a man's point of view. And nope. <laughs> you know so it's like when the movie only made 18 million dollars they're like what happened it's like oh, you made yeah. a very limited a movie with a very limited audience 37 million dollar budget <laughs> and very and, and did not make that back at all um in fact bruce willis uh two men approached bruce willis on the street and demanded their ticket money back and bruce willis <laughs> being the stand-up guy that he is honored it and paid them <laughs> 
<laughs> which I think is fabulous. Okay, so let's say, let's say you are selling somebody on this film um, for whatever reason, because like, I obviously, I, I like this movie. I don't think it's a good movie, <laughs> but that's the whole idea behind the podcast is it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be a good movie. Um, you know, Swiss cheese is tasty, but it has holes. So um, if you were going to sell somebody on this, as far as like, it's, it's why, like why it's enjoyable, what would you say? You know, I would probably keep, I would probably only really feel comfortable selling it to somebody who had really loved like body double. Yeah. Cause I right. remember one, right. one we might wouldn't sell this to, to, to normal. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember I was, I was working on this movie once that was kind of a De Palma ripoff and the director loved body double. And that was one of the ways that we got along was we loved like ludicrous stuff like that. And I remember he had, he said he had never seen color of night. And I was like, you've never seen color of night. Like you're the one who sat there straight face during the Frankie goes to Hollywood scene in body double. And then like deconstructed it afterwards. Like you have to watch color of night. Color <laughs> like, of night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, so I would just probably just say to just hint on how eccentric it is and how sort of un like, it's a, it's like a basic instinct with the plot of basic instinct was being recounted to you by a drunk person or something because that they're like going off on these, you know, like going off on these tangents, like, and then there's a car on top of a garage and he pushes it off and he just dives out. And then it turns out she's in the therapy group dressed like a boy. And it's like, you're just you're like, this is outlandish. This is crazy. You're making this up as you go along. This is not a real movie. And then it is. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> how I would say it. I said, I said, it's just, it's, it's a kitchen sink. They just throw, I mean, it is everything at it. They're just like, no. Nah. Oh, you know what? Saxophone. Yeah. We got to do that. Well, Saxophone. Well, I- here's the thing with all their ripping off of earlier movies. Like when I remember when they kept talking about Bruce Willis's dick and I thought <laughs> It was going to be like Richard Gere's dick in American Gigolo, where you get like you see him standing in the silhouette of the of the Venetian blinds for like 30 seconds. And it's It's a long scene compared to like this really sort of arty European sort of Mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of like what Paul Verhoeven would do later, which is like male genitalia. Why is that weird? You're stupid Americans. Um, but you just kind of, plenty. yeah. Um, but then when you do see his dick, it's like it's it's it might be on a body double and it's just sort of flopping around in a swimming pool. And like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's there's not a whole lot going on there. Um, I, I mean, as far as like Jane March is just just bush first. I mean, she's mm-hmm. her, she, she, yeah, she's naked yeah there's a there's kind of a rule on 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 tasteful productions anyway or or sensitive productions where if like one of the actors is going to be naked then like the people filming the scene should be naked too right i've heard that shoot shower shower scenes and like people do that a lot and i was like when i was watching this movie i was like that crew better have been damn naked because all she's doing is like popping open her top at random times like Uh. her crotch is flying out at random times like she's always like not wearing panties not wearing a bra um taking off her clothes like like nipple vagina (laughs) (laughs) just just a a a steady stream of genitalia yeah yeah Hmm. yeah that was i don't know what that i I was thinking because then later on she got to play jane in a tarzan movie that was pg rated and i was like i wonder if she was excited about that right (laughs) i can see clothes on and wear a pith helmet (laughs) yeah it's like for the first time in her life she's like just yeah i mean she's still playing jane in tarzan but at least it's she's dressed i've 
never heard anyone else from this movie discuss this movie. So in other words, like I've, I've seen Bruce Willis interviews. I've seen Jane March interviews, but I've never, I, I, I've never met Lance Hendrickson. Um, despite the fact that I go to a lot of horror conventions, I've never got to meet him, but I know that he's a very nice person. Um, because of everyone I know has met him has thought he was just fantastic. Uh, and same with like Brad Dorf, but I'm wondering like, what their experience was working on this just because i mean and what they told them too they were like look go just go for it (laughs) just 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 yell your lines you're in you're at 11 i want you at 15 well the thing is the funny thing is is that they had nothing to lose because the thing is it's it's like bruce willis has his a-listy career and reputation to hold on to jane march has her her introduction to Hollywood to worry about. And these other people like Leslie Ann Warren have and Lance Henriksen were long ago relegated to, they're like Eric Roberts. Like nobody's going to be like, is this performance going to make or break them? You know? So I, feel uh... like they, I wonder if they had their own little club of character actors where they're like, oh my God, this movie's so bad. Is this movie so terrible? Oh, isn't this fun? This is so cool. Oh God, these, these famous A-listers are really going to get it when this movie comes out, right? <laughs> Did you read this dialogue? I don't know if can... yeah. yeah. My- yeah, because they had nothing to lose. They were going to get paid and they were nobody's going to not hire Leslie Ann Warren for whatever they were going to cast Leslie Ann Warren in because she was right. over the top in color of night. You wouldn't be casting Leslie Ann Warren unless you wanted her like that, you know, and stuff. So so the character actors got out completely unscathed. So they would be so much fun to talk to about this. Watching watching her and Brad Dorf just go at it with each other in um in the office scene is one of my favorite scenes. It's just when yeah. he just like loses it. He's like, shut up, you promiscuous cut. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know. He's like, do you, um, that scene, I also love that scene where Jane March and Leslie Ann Warren are like hanging out, drinking champagne and they see the, that couple next door like having sex and they start oh. like giggling and then they take each other's clothes off by the and light of the fire. it's like the, the most awkward lesbian <laughs> sex scene ever. Yeah. It's, and then you get the big reveal that, Leslie Ann Warren's girlfriend has the same tattoo that Rose has and it's like right. and the same face and the same build and, the and then she eyes. takes off her wig <laughs> yeah, and, and she says you're... I love your hair why don't you take your wig off <laughs> yeah because the first time I saw the movie like the minute she shows up on screen I'm like oh that's her that's Jane March why right. is that is that supposed to be Rose is that somebody else I don't get right. it whatever anyway just keep going oh, <laughs> you know, it's exactly like, exactly yeah. it's like okay i mean when especially when like bruce willis is coming into leslie ann warren's house and jane march is leaving and she's got like the 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 white dress on and whatever and she has like Mm -hmm. her big sunglasses on and she's like oh excuse me i'm like really (laughs) i'm like you've seen this woman buck ass naked a lot (laughs) well so also if this brother of roses was so controlling and so psychotic that he was able to like gaslight manipulate abuse her into thinking that she's richie wouldn't he be keeping stricter tabs on her like now she can just get dressed up as whoever she wants and she has her own jeep and she can leave the house and go have affairs with anyone she wants and i'm like isn't she supposed to be like under lock and key and like lorded over by this machiavellian brother And he even says it when he's like torturing Bruce Willis. He said, you know, he said she started at first. He said she started sneaking out, acting like Bonnie. He's like, (laughs) and then Bob figured it out. So we took care of him. 
you know right. i love bob's death scene I'll, like that is straight up giallo and i kind of thought that that really cool chainmail uh knife was gonna make a lot of appearances you know but nope no nope. no it doesn't it's too bad because that would have been a great um not mo but what's the uh the um anyway you know like his calling card or whatever it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know just shows up and kills people with this thing yeah that was i love how quickly scott bacula got terrified like <laughs> he's the, like no <laughs> yeah he sees a shadow and he's like no <laughs> and takes off running in slow motion and the killer instead of just running through the door dives through a window yeah. and attacks him and like just just like ninja style spin kick through the window yeah exactly yeah. and it looks like well okay I, i'm trying to i'm trying to be politically correct here it looks like a little person when... oh it, it, it looks like one of the little people in in um phantasm yeah so, oh, and it even yes! does the little voice and it goes like <laughs> when it's chasing him i'm like he's like he's not an ewok but what are those little creatures from the star wars yes, yeah it was like yes. one of those was after him <laughs> that's what it looked like i was like oh oh Oh, it's a smaller okay i see how this is and then there's like that weird giggle because apparently he's just carrying a voice disguiser with him right. well and somehow jane march is also when she's playing richie able to make her voice sound like it's been pitched lower on on you know right. an editing system like yeah 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 she definitely uh has that so okay big question here plot point that i have i'm still scratching my head at because i've listened to several podcasts talk about this when casey dies the painter um is was he having an affair with both of them Right, I, because once you find out that the killer is the brother, mm -hmm. you're wondering like why he was so like, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Well, he does. Him. He yeah. says, and then the, he gets the answering machine message from Bill, and Bill's like, you know, I'll be there in ten minutes or whatever. And then he says, can you do it in ten minutes? Yeah. Right. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, I wonder if he was having sex with both of them. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, because the thing is, everybody in this movie is supposed to be dialed up to eleven sexually. Oh yeah. And and every everybody's perverse about it. Like there isn't anybody, even the couple next door who they're spying on is like pro wrestling as foreplay. <laughs> like nobody just has like you know, nobody nobody has like subdued sex in this movie. No. And so it would and you hear that this guy had like the abusive father and now he wants like dominatrixes to like beat him up and stuff and it's like maybe he also wants guys to strangle him like but in the yeah, in, in this movie in this movie I'm like, you know, ordinarily I'd be like no, I don't know about that and then no this king movie, shaman like, oh, you know? yeah but, no but in this movie it's like of course why I, like i that would never have not crossed their mind <laughs> to have right. them be like involved with like everybody's banging everybody everybody's banging everybody and yeah. and dale's fucked up and crazy and and everything which is funny seeing him in this role because the role that i know him most for him is um a really cheesy 90s comedy called my boyfriend's back oh yeah and he's also in the um he's also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie too. Now he's not he looks so much like him but he's not the guy who played Heather Langenkamp's husband in New Nightmare is he? No, and you know what? I made that same mistake too. When I first saw him I was like, is that Angel Laurie? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I recognize him as well. Yeah, he's right. kind of got like that kind of he's he's kind of like Craig Wasson, where like when you see him, you're like, oh, I know exactly what era he was. Yeah, absolutely. Because I never saw him before this, and I never saw him after this. Nope. <laughs> yeah, that is correct. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, what is Andrew Lowry doing now? Like he seems to, you know, but even when. Bruce Willis, you know, decides to go over to Dr. Niedermeyer's widow's house. She's at 11 too. <laughs> well, and here's the thing is like, by this point, Shirley Knight was doing these little character bits. Like she was in Diabolique. She played Sharon Stone's landlady. Oh yeah. But her Fantastic. part in in this one is even kind of more thankless. Like I'm like, yeah. why even bother? I, I'm sure she probably thought it would be amazing to work with Richard Rush because he had been such a, I mean, Freebie and the Bean was a huge movie. And huge. The, the stuntman was really well regarded. It was kind of like the last seduction with Linda Fiorentino mm-hmm. when it came out. Like everybody was like, you're not going to get to see this because it's only playing in 200 theaters, but it's right. amazing. Right. Um. And so I'm sure Shirley Knight was like, oh, this will be great, you know, and because she was this was right around the time when she was starting to try to kind of get back into a movies. I don't think it worked out until she finally did uh, did as good as it gets when she played Mm -hmm. Helen Hunt's mom a few years later. But (laughs) this one, when she finally was in as good as it gets, she's like, "Okay, we can stop thinking about color of night now. I don't have to worry about (laughs) my 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 line and color, my my lines and color of night. Does she have a biography? Not that I know of. I mean, she should. She's I mean, a, she's an could... accomplished stage actress. So. Yeah, I need to go. Like next time I'm at uh, the actual bookstore, the brick and mortar bookstore, I'm going to go to like to the uh, buyer and just look for everybody who's in this movie. Look for their biography. Absolutely. Then, like, yes. And be like, I've done that too. <laughs> I, I got Steve. I got Steve Gutenberg's autobiography just so I could like. Be, so just so I could see if he would talk about "Don't Tell Her It's Me" and the man <laughs> who wasn't there. <laughs> oh god don't tell her it's me that was so when he pretends to be like from new zealand or something he's from new zealand he's yeah. a kiwi right oh that i'm movie. gonna make you over t- into this like you know road warrior-esque romantic character you poor because nobody will have you it's terrible yeah that's um, one of those movies that's kind of like it's so they weren't into preserving movies like that because they knew that they were good like I want Made to Order with Ali Sheedy to come out on Blu-ray, but even the producers are like, we don't know where the negative is. What we don't know, right? What, we we forgot we made this movie. Right. <laughs> like, you're getting the video master, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. There's so many movies that I really wish had, you know, like behind the scenes or 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 extras, or they brought people back to talk about stuff or whatever. But like, no. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's unfortunate not that we wanted to have that happen with color of night i just would think that color of night at some point is going to develop that kind of following where people dress up as different characters you know (laughs) like like okay now you you're you're clark and you're sandra go you know (laughs) that would be such a deep dive like i could totally see like somebody i if i knew someone in la and they would have dressed as one of the color of night characters and they would have like one other person the whole night that they would be bonded to because that person recognized them yeah <laughs> as their character. exactly it, that's exactly how it would be too it'd be like oh my god you know this movie too like uh no i i, I it's it is man it's bananas it's bananas yeah. but but like i said not a boring movie you know, definitely funny, maybe unintentionally so. Uh, <laughs> Ruben Blades, clearly in a different movie. 
He's trying to do Dennis Franz and dress to kill. Like he's like yes, the wacky, he is. The yes. wacky cop. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Wacky cop guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like he wacky, keeps calling him inappropriate like, semi-racist cop. <laughs> yeah. Like, and really like, what do you call it now? Like, um, I guess ableist or something. Like he's always yeah. like, he refers to the people in the group as dingbats or, or cuckoos. And then at cuckoos, one point he, he tells them. Daffodils. <laughs> And this is what you were talking about, how part of it is like um, ad-libbed, is like at one point he goes, go find a new group of wombats to exploit. Wombats to exploit? And I, I was like, like, I know wombats. that he must have missed, he must, wombats, he must, he must have misspoke there because there's- word there? Nobody, like nobody would ever use wombat as like a euphemism for crazy, but it's hilarious. I'm like, whoever, like, I would totally do that now because it's like- you can't be sure that I'm like making fun of their like mental capacity if I call him a wombat, right? No, no, you can't. No, yeah, so you're just like, crazy like a wombat. Crazy like so, a wombat. Started right. So, are you working on anything right now? Because I know, um, I know one of your movies is on Tubi. Which one? Um, oh, Trollberry. Tr- yes, yes, yes. Oh yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. So I keep. I don't know why it's, I think it's only still on there because they forgot it's there because I can't imagine that it's like bringing in the bucks, you know, like they're like, every time I go on to Tubi to watch a movie, they say, oh, it's going to be gone in seven days or it's already left or whatever. I know. And like, Damn, yeah. And my movie will not leave. And I think it's because they just forgot that it's there. <laughs> I'm like, so fingers crossed that it stayed. I kind of like the idea of it just sort of like exist, like, because I kind of made it as I wanted people to sort of accidentally stumble into it the way that people did when you would watch movies at three in the morning. And like the streaming era has sort of taken away the mystique of just discovering new stuff. But I mean, if it's yeah. stuff is up there for free and people are stoned Agreed. and they they're trigger happy with the remote, then that's all you can ask for. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I, I think it's cool. It's very funny. And so I'm not working on anything right now, but a friend of mine and I are sort of joking around about the idea of making, have you ever seen the movie Tintorera Tiger Shark with Susan George and it was shot in Mexico. It's like a softcore ripoff. Of oh Jaws. yeah. So, oh <laughs> yeah. Wait, okay. you know what? I, ju- I literally just watched that like, like a couple of months ago, like during the summer. <clears throat> right. Okay. So you remember how Susan George, she's br- this British girl and she goes and she gets into like this three-way, like summer lovers-esque relationship with both of the shark hunters. And then one of them dies and she's so brokenhearted about it. She she says like, once the triangle is is compromised, like we can't be together and she has to leave. And so my friend and I are toying with the idea of trying to get Susan George to appear in a sequel to Tintorera, where she basically just plays this old lady in England who nobody can stand because no matter what anybody's talking about, she'll hijack it and try to bring it back to that time I was in Mexico and I fucked those two shotguns. <laughs> and like, you know, so somebody's perfect. like, you know, they're like, my husband's dying of cancer. And she's like, I know exactly how you feel. 40 years ago, somebody who I'd been having sex with for four days was eaten by a shark. Shark. <laughs> yeah. oh so that's the, that, that would be like my my next project if I had a project. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Well, where can people find you if they want to stalk you on social media? I stalk me on Instagram. I think Facebook might be on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I, I just never... have an Instagram now. So people are trying to get me to join Facebook again. And I'm like, eh. I'm good. I, I have most of my Instagram stuff just posts automatically to Facebook and half the time Facebook will kick it off and say that it, it transgressed something and something right yeah and I and so I go on there like once a week to take part in this sort of online cinema club 
that this page groovy doom does um where we watch a double feature I i do miss about the only thing i miss about being on facebook was the groups yeah, 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 but otherwise, so so yeah, Instagram, Instagram all Instagram. the way. Oh my god! Well, thank you for doing this. And yes, if you come up with another movie and you want to come on and talk about it, what was the one that you just recently saw me talking about? And you said, "Oh, we have to do this one after Color of Night sometime." <laughs> it's so hard to keep track. <laughs> I probably, I hopefully, I added it to my Excel spreadsheet, which is where everything else goes. Um, let me see. Hold on. Da, 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 da. Trying to think if I could get my right. Was it like two hundred cigarettes or something? Or... Yes, yes, it was. Okay. Yes, it <laughs> yeah. was two hundred cigarettes because I don't know anyone else that knows that movie, that reveres that movie. That yeah, absolutely. I saw it. I saw it in the theater opening night and all my friends in San Francisco were exactly like characters in that movie. They were all these like neurotic hipsters who were obsessed with their own love lives or lack of, and they all hated it. And I think they hated it because there was each one of them had like a character in the movie that was them. And I think they didn't like having a mirror held up to their face. So they're like, that movie was stupid. I love it. And I remember, and I saw it at opening night and I bought the soundtrack immediately and it was the first time I'd ever heard more than this by, by Roxy music. Cause I, I, you know, uh, didn't have the best exposure to music until, until I got married, when I got married, I'm, I'm divorced now, but when I got married, my ex-husband was a huge alternative music fan. Mm-hmm. So he introduced me to like Roxy music and the Smiths and stuff that I hadn't been exposed to. And yeah. Um, yeah. And so- it was kind of like, I hate to say like, it was like my generation, um, cause I was, how old was I when, when, when 200 stickers came out, I was like 22. That sounds so, about right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like watching a huge ensemble movie, like the big chill, but yes. then there was like, everybody was like my, it was like Paul Rudd, who I thought was so cool and clueless and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, as you get older, it's funny. You, um, I was talking to a friend of mine about this recently. I was like, do you think that people our age will ever be like, you go through this period in middle age where like when you're young, all movies are about your age group. And then you <laughs> go through this period in your thirties, forties, and fifties, where people your age only show up in movies playing somebody's parents. Yes. And then it comes full circle because eventually you'll get to be like in those kind of Diane Keaton-esque, like senior citizen sex like comedies. Judy, like Judy Dench situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so you finally do get to be, your generation finally does get to star in movies again, but only like in your sixties and onward. It's true. There really yeah. isn't a whole lot of movies about people in their forties who just can't get their shit together. <laughs> yeah. So they keep talking about like, we should do a, you know, a, um, a sequel to, um, Romeo and Michelle. And I'm like, well, don't do a sequel to Romeo and Michelle when they are 57, do it in 10 more years and market it to like the elderly people who went to go see out to sea with the kind of, you know, Martha, uh, the, you know, like that, right. you know, the, yeah. Or the one, you know, like who went to go see the movie Hitchcock, where like mm-hmm. everybody in the movie is like, oh, uh, you know, a senior citizen or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, um, that's what you have to do. I know <laughs> I watch. It's funny because I, I love the Big Chill. I'm a huge Big Chill fan, but I also um, they were they were interviewing the the stars. I think it was like it was Joe Beth, Joe Beth Williams. And she's like, yeah, she goes, our characters really weren't that likable in fact (laughs) they were actually very whiny and you know she's goes through this whole thing and now that i watch it back again i'm like wow yeah that is does not age well (laughs) yeah i was i i just saw saint elmo's fire for the first time 
<laughs> and I was like, were people, did people like these characters or were they not, why had they not realized how ridiculous it was after like the seventh time that one of them tried to throw the other one off a fire escape or tried to strangle oh, them? Yeah. Or, or we, Demi Moore's like, I'm going to kill myself by freezing myself to death. I'm going to freeze I'm, myself to death because I never thought I would be so tired at 22. <laughs> I know. And I was like, <laughs> oh my god like i will throw you off this fire escape <laughs> i know yeah. i wanted to see like the end of the movie i think they should have just been like some duex machina where like they drop an atom bomb on them yeah. all or something yeah like you know sometimes they'll change around like in certain countries like in iran sometimes they'll add a postscript saying that like the killer was caught or something because they can't have movies oh. where like e- like where um criminals prevail or whatever that i, I did think, not know i think like some country like iran should have added in a coda to um saint almost fire where a bomb drops because like in their in like... their culture people this obnoxiously selfish shouldn't be allowed to continue living <laughs> absolutely judd nelson dead right <laughs> just some random, dead. yeah just some random place like in sri lanka like it really offended the local sensibilities <laughs> and sort of make it to make it for the populace they had to change oh my things. god yeah <laughs> well we, we were watching i was watching with a friend of mine and in the whole um the whole scene with kirby uh basically stalking you know the andy mcdowell character and <laughs> she's like this is really bad like this is not romantic at all and i was like yeah this is psychotic <laughs> yeah some oh. i don't know some some people have that make i remember seeing god did, what was uh, that do you remember that movie with kirsten dunst and orlando bloom where yeah he was like, um uh, crazy beautiful no it was later it was the one where she oh. was like a stewardess oh Oh, Orlando uh, okay. Bloom. Okay. So it was it was Orlando Bloom and Kristen Dunst, and it was made by the guy who made Almost Famous, who wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High, who I'm blanking on his name. Right oh, now. Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe. Oh, and he made is it, it and- that is it that um the tennis movie? <laughs> No, that was the one with Paul Bettany and and Jennifer Connelly, I think, or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, this one. So this one has um, it has um, Orlando Bloom, and uh, it's it's she's it's supposed to be like a like a screwball where he's like this uptight businessman, and she like is so zany that she helps loosen him up, but she comes across so stalkerish and so crazy that I, I was it was really unpleasant to watch and i kind of just wish the movie would have been over in like 5 minutes but i kind of wish he would have just told her he was gay or something <laughs> she would not leave him alone and i was like this movie should be 10 minutes and he should just tell her like i will call the police if you do not stop trying to talk to me when manic pixie dream girl goes wrong seriously and i was like cameron crow i know you like manic pixie dream girl but like would you even give her the time of day like, I, I i seriously that's a good that's a good note to that's definitely a good note to end on <laughs> souls apart shattered smiles secrets unrevealed I need to know the way you feel and I'll give you
just wants to see you in the light.